The evil attacks against in Israel, the wanton slaughter of absolute innocence by barbarians who are now well past the gates, have likely changed the world forever. What does that mean for the exported American experiment of individual freedom and liberty that has created the modern world? What does it mean for you and your life? How should we think about all this now? Well, we wouldn't dare tell you that, but in the midst of horror and despair, we'll try to provide answers and perspective on episode number 419 of the In the Tank podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the In the Tank podcast brought to you by the Heartland Institute. I'm Jim Lakeley, Vice President of the Heartland Institute. We're a national think tank for that for 39 years of our existence has advanced the American ideal, free markets and free people, and not just here in America, but where we can, other places around the world. I'm going to warn you right now, this is going to be a hard podcast, I think, to get through, at least for me, um, without crying in, in anger or despair uh, for the state of the world what we call the West, the civilization we have long taken for granted, but maybe shouldn't anymore. Um, the unfathomable evil of Hamas's attack on Israel last week was a reminder that the eternal human struggle between civilization and savagery never really ends. But it is important not to look away from the hate and the horrors inflicted by the enemies of civilization. Experts say this barbarous act changes the Middle East forever. Maybe, but what does the fight in Israel say about the future of global liberty, which we've always assumed would remain ascendant forever? And what are we to make of the overtly pro-Hamas sentiment found in American streets, the halls of Congress, the heights of academia, and other redoubts of the ruling class? With us to, to discuss this are, well, less than our usual crew. Donnie and Justin are uh, traveling together to Dallas to visit with their book collaborator, Glenn Beck. And so they'll probably be back next week. So with us today, we have Chris Talgo, Editorial Director of the Heartland Institute and regular participant of this podcast. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing good. Uh, I think this is a very necessary topic to address. So I'm looking forward to a uh, interesting you know, conversation about what's going on. Me too. <laughs> also with us, back after not being on the show for a little while, is Sam Karnick. You're the Publications Director at the Heartland Institute, and you're a man who thinks about these issues a lot, even if it's not always part of our core mission here at Heartland uh, to advocate for freedom on, you know, freedom-centric domestic policy. So, uh, Sam, after sharing countless Slack messages with me on these sorts of topics over the years, how are you doing today? I'm good, Jim. Thank you very much for having me on the show again. Great. Well, um, I think you're actually perfect to have on this because of your, uh, you take a very long view perspective on this. You have a very um, deep well of knowledge on uh, the freedom movement and uh, its struggle to, uh, against barbarism over centuries, really. And so I know we probably all have a lot to say about this, but let me try to start this conversation in this way. Uh, I read this morning that members of Congress yesterday got a classified briefing of what happened and the current situation on the ground in Israel and many members of Congress were, quote, visibly shaken. The attack, unprecedented in its sophistication from Hamas, included a horror, surreal scene right out of Mad Max with armed paragl paragliders attacking a peace and music festival in southern Israel. Hundreds of innocent civilians were killed there. 
And the stories from survivors in that part of the attack are absolutely horrific. Indeed, the stories out of Southern Israel as a whole are almost unimaginable in their horror. Hardened IDF soldiers uh, were weeping. They'd never seen horror like this in their lives. And those are some of the hardest, <laughs> hardest men on earth. Uh, Hamas terrorists went door to door in several kibbutz communities. They went to house to house, slaughtering everybody inside, men, women, children, babies. Several media outlets have now confirmed that IDF forces found maybe dozens of babies, infants beheaded. There are photos of strollers and baby car seats soaked in blood. Guys, this is very difficult to talk about. I mean, this is an evil that is hard for the human mind to even comprehend, especially for those of us who are fortunate enough, blessed to live in a peaceful West. Sam, um, you know, I kind of feel like the world has changed now. You know, maybe it hasn't, but we can we can discuss that. But um, Hamas has encouraged their soldiers to attack everywhere now, um, even in the United States. How does, I mean, I guess it's a big, broad question, but how does our Western modern civilization confront this kind of evil? It's going to have to be a civilization. One of the things that has happened to us in the West is that we have become complacent. Uh, with the end of the Cold War, we assumed somehow that this was the end of history and that everything would become more liberal and democratic over time and that markets would be free and everything would be fine. But there is in the human heart a lot of uh, anger toward those who have more than we have. There is uh, a lot of devotion to one's own group and the creation of uh, fantastic notions of what one's group really is. You put all that together, the only thing that really holds civilization together and ever has is blood. And that's what we're seeing now. Um, we, are, we are attacked, uh, we are all under attack, but we, all, we have all been under attack for quite some time now, quite some time. Uh, I look back to 2016, 2015, with the uh, beheading of monuments in the United States, the throwing paint on them and then tearing them down. The, if you go back to the French Revolution, there were, there were incidents like this. If you look at the Russian Revolution, incidents like this. Uh, you look at uh, any number of events in human history, there are there are forces in the human soul that when unleashed are just horrific, unimaginable to those who want to live in peace and who have uh, values of decency and sympathy toward other people. This is something that can only be stopped by blood. It is based on blood. It is based on the notion that we, this group, are tied together by blood. And there's an outside group that is not of our blood and they must be destroyed because they will destroy our blood. They will shed our blood. Interestingly enough, Tom Wolfe, the, the great uh, journalist and novelist who uh, died a couple of years ago, his final novel was called Back to Blood. And it was all about the rise of ethnicity. And Wolf continually in all of his books predicted what was going to happen in our society, although he would place it in the current day, of course. But in Back to Blood, his whole point was that we're going to see a rise of 
ethnicity and and an intent that people come together uh, through their ethnic ties, their ties of blood. We're seeing that happen now. And we're seeing it happen not just in Russia, not just in in Crimea or the Ukraine or Iran. We're seeing it everywhere, including in the United States, where ties of blood are more important than the very foundations of civilization. That's where we're going. And the only way that it's going to be answered, I, I hate to say it, is blood itself. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, yeah, yes, that's, uh, that's great. Thanks, Sam. The, uh, you know, the miracle of the American experiment. I mean, it's, it's, there, there've been attempts to create societies that are not based on blood, that are not tribal. Um, and the United States of America in all of human history has been the best and most successful experiment in that kind of idea that, um, tribes are, um, you know, your tribe is schluffed aside and that you bring together, you can, and it is proof, you can bring people together from absolutely disparate backgrounds, histories, as long as you have a shared vision of liberty and freedom and, um, you know, United States and then, you know, and the West, Western Europe, uh, obviously, especially, have been able to maintain that for, well, for, for hundreds of years now. And, you know, if you think back, and I know, Sam, you, you're a student of history, you know, there's been very few attempts to build societies um, like this that are based on respect and 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 uh, uh, respect of the other and putting tribalism away and not based on blood, but based on shared values. And I guess, Chris, what we're seeing is that um, those shared values, although shared in the West, are utterly rejected by some of the most barbarous people on earth. I mean, when I, when I was reading and seeing um, on social media clips of, of the absolute barbarism that was happening in, especially in Southern Israel, I was thinking to myself, this is the kind of stuff that you read about in history books that the Mongols did, that they would just kill everybody and because they, they, because they were the other and subjugate the rest. And this, this is what Hamas did. They came in and they slaughtered as many Jews as they could. And they collected women and children to bring back with them to Gaza as human shields and um, and to do other unspeakable things to them when they had them in their custody. Uh, I guess there wasn't a question there, Chris, but, you know, what, what are your did you have similar thoughts, you know, civilizational thoughts about this when, when all this was unfolding over the last week? I'd say yes. Um, I remember when uh, Barack Obama said that the arc of history is bending towards, you know, what he considered like justice and, you know, equality. And I think that that was naive at the time. And we are seeing the fact that that, you know, was a naive position. Um, Gee, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, Obviously, what, you know, Hamas did was, you know, reprehensible in every sense of the word. yeah, I just, you know, have nothing but sympathy and empathy for the Israeli people who are, you know, dealing with the, uh, you know, the ramifications of this. And, you know, this is going to be generations of, you know, pain and suffering. Uh, you know, I, I think Sam talked a lot about, um, you know, the, the the genesis of this. And uh, I think, you know, this this conflict obviously has a long history to it. Um and I am sure we'll get into some of the reactions on uh, different, you know, different sides here. Uh, but one of the things I just want to make crystal clear is that, you know, Israel was the victim of this. 
Israel has every single right to go in and, you know, annihilate Hamas. And, uh, you know, when we think of war, you know, I think we, uh, we, we don't understand that there's a fog of war and that war is extremely messy and that there's going to be um, innocent civilians that unfortunately, you know, die as a result of this. But I think that we need to maintain unity uh, in defense of Israel and uh, we need to ensure that uh, they have our backing. You know, they are our greatest ally in the Middle East. Middle East, you know, does not have many uh, thriving democracies and Israel is one of the only thriving democracies in that region. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of going off on some tangents here, but I think one of the reasons why there is such antipathy towards Israel, and it's happened since 1948 when, you know, the state was, you know, initially founded is because, you know, Israel has uh, become a, um, a very prosperous, uh, you know, nation. And I think that that has um, produced feelings of, you know, jealousy and envy and this notion that like the the plight of the Palestinians is solely due to the Israelis existence. And we know that that is a is just not true. It's not a zero sum game. Uh, Palestine and, you know, the Palestinian Authority and Hamas and unfortunately the people who have let Hamas represent, you know, them in the Gaza Strip uh, do not understand that fundamental premise. So I think that it's not just going to take, you know, Israel going in there and, uh, you know, terminating every single Hamas terrorist. I think it's also going to take a, a cultural shift within the people of Gaza to not only, you know, coexist peacefully with, you know, their Israeli neighbors, but to also, you know, understand that their, you know, horrible circumstances that they live in is not due to Israel and that they need to, uh, you know, take more responsibility for that. So I know we're going to talk about a lot of stuff here. So, you know, those are just kind of like some of my opening thoughts and uh, let's, you know, see where this goes. Yeah, I actually saw a, uh, a promo video put out by Hamas showing, bragging about how they were digging up water pipes and turning them into rockets. Uh, gee, you wonder why Hamas doesn't have any uh, water infrastructure of their own if they dig it all up. And it's actually it's a perfect example of what Hamas's mission is. It's uh, not to exist as a uh, as a country that's welcomed into the, the, you know, the world of nations or the United Nations. It's to kill as many Jews as possible uh, and to annihilate them. And uh, you know, Sam, I've heard comparisons, you know, we've all heard comparisons, what happened in Israel um, to what happened in America on 9-11. You know, 3,000 people died um, uh, in the United States. Um, and if you compare the populations, they say this would be like 20,000 people uh, being killed on 9-11. And, um, but, you know, even that I don't think is quite right. Uh, I, I don't actually really like that comparison very much for a couple of reasons. One, bin Laden actually expected to kill at least 50,000 people in the World Trade Center. Uh, and I always remember that, um, you know, if he if he had told his his uh, Satan spawn minions uh, in Al Qaeda to take flights just an hour later, um, you know, that that that's what would have happened. They would have killed tens of thousands of people in the World Trade Center. They hit the 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 planes hit the World Trade Center. I think the first one was 11 was 846 and the other one was uh, just at nine o'clock or maybe very close to that. But uh a lot of people hadn't gotten to the hadn't got to the building yet. You know, they were they were picking up a coffee and a bagel on the way in or, you know, the the 
the one business that lost the most people, Cantor Fitzgerald, was a finance firm, um, you know, trading, trading stocks. So of course, they were all in the office because the uh, the, the floor was at nine. You got to get yourself ready. But a lot of people weren't in there yet. So Bin Laden actually expected to kill um, tens of thousands, 50,000 minimum at the World Trade Center that day. And it was just um, they took earlier flights and the miracle of the um, FDNY and the police department in New York and individuals getting themselves out of there. Many, many stories of heroism. Um, and then, you know, in a I, I don't mean this to sound insensitive, but, it, you know, in when you fly an airplane into a into a building um, and bring it down. Um, you're not uh, the only people, the only people that Muhammad Atta had to face, face to face and kill were the people on the airplane so that he could take control of it. We had Hamas saying we had Hamas terrorists going house to house, murdering and beheading babies over and over again. So, you know, there's there's that's what I mean. The, the level of of the brutality here is is just like I said, almost incomprehensible that there are human beings on this earth that have so much hate uh, and have been so, and they've been raised generations of, of Gazans who've been, who's, who've been trained from children to consider Jews as animals, not human and deserving. In fact, it is, it is their religious duty to kill as many Jews as possible. Um, again, I think Western civilization has turned its eye away from this sickness that exists in a too large and very dangerous swath of humanity. And it's not just that they've turned away, they have supported it um, in many ways. And we're gonna to get to that, uh, the, Amer the, the reaction of some really morally sick people in America to what happened in Israel. But uh, yeah, Sam, I mean, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on th those kind of ideas I just threw out there. Well, let's go back to 1937, uh, before World War II, uh, the rape of Nanking by the uh, Japanese. It was horrific. And it was very much like this. Uh, Nanking was a uh, city in northern China. Well, here's the question. Well, first of all, uh, let's uh, mention that one of the things that they did was they threw babies in the air and speared them on bay bayonets. And this was fun for them. They enjoyed that. Um, a couple of questions arise. One is, what was Japan's, the, the government of Japan, what was their real problem with Nanking? That you would inflict such bestial actions upon them. It was a horror that uh, the likes of which we've fortunately seldom seen in human history, but unfortunately seldom means every 10, 15 years. Um, why? One of the things that is well known about that is that the way those Japanese soldiers were trained was that they were dehumanized. They were, they were uh, punishments and evils were inflicted on the soldiers so badly that they lost control of their consciences. They had no sense of right and wrong left because they had been so uh, abused that they, as I said, they simply had, they had no way of, of making moral decisions anymore. That turned them into monsters. This is going on in our society and in our world now through propaganda, through 
just cruel behavior. The it, it wasn't Israel that dehumanized Hamas soldiers. It wasn't Israel that did that. It wasn't Netanyahu. It wasn't the IDF. It was their own people. And this is something that I find is just endemic throughout human history, is you dehumanize your own people. You ruin them and then set them off on others. And babies are killed. Blood flows. It's, it's astonishing, but again, it's, it's part of human nature. And what is civilization? Civilization is the putting together of enough strength and power to say, no, this isn't going to happen here. We're stopping it. And this is the choice that Israel has before it. Either stop it and let the world go where it may and say what it wants or not. And that's where we are as a nation, the United States. We have these same impulses arising. We have people being dehumanized. We have people uh, sympathetic to the beheading of, of Jewish babies in a kibbutz. We have people expressing sympathy for the people who did that. That's monstrous. This And this is the United States. So we, we, we can't just pretend that Every, that is just the people who are doing this, who are, at, who are at fault, and the people nearby in the West Bank and in Gaza who are in danger. This is a worldwide phenomenon, and it is going to intensify in the coming years unless and until civil, the forces of civilization decide that they love civilization enough to defend it with their lives. Yeah. Hey, well, Jim, can I just, can I, yeah, just address uh, something that we haven't really uh, tackled yet. Uh, you know, Hamas has no money. There is no economy. They have no way of purchasing these weapons. So it's pretty obvious at this point that Iran supplied the weapons, the rockets, the, you know, all the uh, vehicles and everything that they did to pull this off. And then that makes me wonder, so wait a second, how come during the Trump administration, Iran basically wasn't doing any of this stuff? And then I remember, oh, yeah, that's because we put on like the most ironclad sanctions you possibly could. I read one one uh, account that said that the economy of Iran towards the uh, ending of the Trump administration was on par with Haiti. OK, as soon as President Biden took office, he he chose to not enforce all those strict sanctions and you know everyone's making a whole bunch of hay out of this six billion dollars and oh it hasn't gotten there yet and blah 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 that doesn't matter because iran has made tens and tens and tens of billions by selling oil to china russia and other rogue states not to mention the fact that they have just openly uh flaunted these uh these sanctions and president biden for whatever reason is not taking the you know, steps necessary to keep the boot on the neck of Iran. So I'm not saying that uh, we should go in and declare war on Iran or we should bomb Iran or any of that stuff whatsoever. But I am saying that in the Middle East, at least in the modern uh, history of it, it understands one thing, strength. 
And the fact that the United States is not being strong there and we are trying to, ne to negotiate with them, allowing them to possibly get a nuclear uh, weapon. And apparently they're up to 60% enrichment of uh, uranium here, which means that they are literally weeks away from a breakout. I, I think that that has emboldened them. And, and, and uh, you know, this thing did not take, you know, a week or two to plan. There was a report that came out that said this took two years to plan. So this has been in, yeah. you know, in planning stages for a very long time. And, you know, I think, you know, what happened with uh, Russia invading Ukraine, it's I think that that is it, uh, the American withdrawal from Afghanistan, how we just put our tail between our legs and just left. Not to mention the fact that a lot of the weapons apparently in Gaza right now is part of that you know, cachet that was left over. So I, I'm not blaming the United States for this whatsoever. And I'm not saying that Iran is totally responsible for this. However, you know, the posture of the United States and our foreign policy has a giant role in the world. And when we are exuding weakness and when we are trying to allow nations like, you know, Iran and other, you know, rogue states like Syria to get away with, you know, what they are trying to get away with, bad things happen from that. So, I mean, and once again, this is a very complicated issue. There's a lot of, you know, moving parts and a lot of factors that are going into this. However, I think that's one thing that does play a role. And the fact that, you know, we obviously had a enormous intelligence failure. Now, yeah. obviously it's not just on the, um, you know, on, on the U.S. side, Israel also had intelligence failure. But uh, one of the other things that I've, you know, been hearing, reading a lot is that uh, the United States uh, intelligence uh, in the past couple of years has moved away from having uh, people on the ground and having, you know, uh, infiltrators. And we are so dependent on eyes in the sky and technology that that does, you know, uh, prevent us from having that very necessary uh, local knowledge of what's going on. And I think these are all just factors that, you know, allowed this to happen. You know, maybe it was inevitable. Maybe it was going to happen, you know, regardless. But maybe the scale and scope of it would have been much less had the United States once again had that strong uh, posture in the region and, you know, across the world for that matter of this is just not allowed. Uh, I don't hate to make this a Trump versus Biden thing, but let's just remember that Donald Trump's four years in the Oval Office, there weren't many things like this happening. He killed uh, Soleimani. He got rid of the really, really, really bad guys. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, our current commander in chief just does not have that in place. Yeah, and and Trump also canceled all aid to the uh, Palestinian Authority, which obviously used it all for uh, weapons and not for infrastructure, which is quite obvious. And uh, and also nixed the uh, Iran deal, which uh, you know, as they say, money is fungible. You promise six billion dollars, and then money can go elsewhere. And in fact, you know, if it took, did take two years to uh, to plan. Certainly, Iran expected um, their their money to be, or not their money, but money to become flowing in. Uh, so, you know, these these decisions by the United States of America have real world and often very tragic uh, results. One of the really quick one of the really quick point of that, the fact that we are negotiating with terrorists and the fact that we paid Iran, what was it, a, a billion dollars for the release of a bunch of Six billion dollars for five uh, exactly. people they kidnapped. Right, right, right. But there, I, I, I've also that there have been other instances where we have been, you know, negotiating with terrorists. Uh, all that does is that uh, incentivizes more of this. And there's a reason why they went in and took as many of these hostages as they did, because obviously they want to get something in return for it.
And when you negotiate right. with terrorists, this is the kind of behavior that unfortunately you should expect in the future. A quick follow right. up. I mean, there's some, there's, there's, uh, what what happened two years ago that would cause uh, Hamas and Iran to uh, start planning such a thing? <laughs> Very good point. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and there's a lot we don't know and there's a lot we are going to learn over the days, weeks and months and years ahead. I mean, uh, as uh, I think Andy has put in the or no, you did, Sam, uh, both both Andy and Sam put in the private chat that Cutter Cutter's hands are not clean in this either. And it's uh, very strange that we have a military base uh, in Qatar when they are basically the um, banking system for much of global terrorism. So that's another thing that uh, civilization, the civilized world is going to have to. Uh, perhaps reevaluate. Um, you know, Sam, I, I was it Thomas Sowell who said that decline is a choice. That for civilizations, decline is a choice. And you know, the the classic example, and people have made this comparison of the fall, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire to you know to the United States, perhaps a little overblown, but it is. Um, I, I am, and I know you are too, Sam, you're, you're very much an adherent to the idea that human nature is what it is, and it's pretty much unmovable, and that civilization is an attempt to curb the worst instincts of human nature and to create a place where people can live in peace and prosperity um, and happiness, um, which is like, which is kind of the theme of this podcast, which is always a constant struggle. Um you know, so, you know, Mark Stein, one of my favorite columnists, and whenever something horrible like this happens um, on the global scene, he's an excellent person to read. Him and Victor Davis Hanson, probably the two clearest thinkers on this that have popular columns. Uh, he noted the other day that on 9-11, the enemies of America and of civilization were dancing and celebrating on the streets of Iran, Gaza, and Egypt. And then after this attack, uh, the enemies of America and civilization and Israel uh, we're dancing on the streets of New York, London, and Toronto. Um, so, Sam, wh what does that say about Western... I think that's absolutely 100% correct. <laughs> and uh, we actually have a video, uh, Andy, it's called Dearborn Celebration. Um, Dearborn, Michigan, one of the uh, largest um, Arab uh, populations in the United States, uh, has been for decades, which is fine. Um, but they held a rally and uh, lots of Palestinian flags are flying around. Um, uh, Rashida Talib in Congress represents that area. Uh, she kept the Palestinian flag, I think maybe to this day, sitting outside of her office, ironically with a uh, with a rainbow LGBTQ flag, um, very close to it, you know, not, well, obviously realizing that um, if you flew that flag in Gaza, um, you'd be dead. And if you adhere to that, um, if you were LGBTQ plus IA, all that stuff, um, you would be uh, tortured and, and murdered by the people that Rashida Tlaib was continually to celebrate. In fact, she was tracked down in the halls of Congress. It's one of the things about covering Congress is that the, the members have to go from their offices across the street, often through underground tunnels to Congress to vote, and then they go back to their office. And the reporters have free reign there, and they can find them wherever they might find them and ask them questions. And uh, a reporter for Fox Business, I believe, was asking Rashida Tlaib um, why she still had the Palestinian flag and why she's still supporting them when they were beheading babies infants. And of course, she had nothing to say. Um, uh, but Sam, you know, so just to get to that back to that Mark Stein point that there were so many people celebrating in the on the streets of the United States. And in fact, uh, the police were often deployed to protect any pro Israeli protester counter protesters that might show up. 
um, that was the that was the the attention and the problem that the police saw. I mean, I think that that statement, which is true, that in 23 years uh, we go from uh, jihadis and and people with broken moral compasses celebrating in the Arab world to 9/11 to now celebrating in the streets of our Western our, our the 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 peaks of our Western civilization. What does, that say, what does that say about about how serious the West takes these sorts of problems? It's certainly a rather dismal thought. And I think that if you look back to 2015, 2016, 2017, and after, uh, what was going on in the United States was a precursor of this. Um, to me, the the fighting in the, the 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 fighting in the streets during 2020, the so-called peaceful protests. Those, those didn't start in 2020. They, they were going on in 2015, 2016 and got worse and worse. That didn't all happen just because somehow America changed over the course of a year. Um, and it's not because it's coming bubbling up from the people or even from the human nature itself. What is this leaders? It's leaders that are, are creating these things. When the uh, Japanese soldiers went into Manchuria, as I mentioned, or excuse me, into China for the Nanking massacre, they had been betrayed and dehumanized by their leaders. And the American people are being betrayed and dehumanized by our leaders. And that has been an increasing phenomenon throughout the 21st century. Why that would be the case is something that we need to discuss now and in future, because you can't have freedom without rule of law. You can't have rule of law if your leaders are corrupt. That's simply very straightforward. So what happens with Hamas, as you say, there is no Hamas if there's no money for them. There is no Hamas if the Palestinian people aren't being degraded, humiliated, and dehumanized by Arabs who won't let them live in Arab countries, which would solve the problem immediately. The Balfour Declaration that created the what eventually became the State of Israel was called the State of Palestine at that time. Balfour Declaration right after World War I was, was very simple. It was that we would repopulate the, the land called Palestine, which in fact was a Jordan as well. It was what's now Israel and the West Bank plus Jordan. We would repopulate that with Jews who had always claimed that as their land. And the people living there would go in other parts of the Arab world. That sort of uh, that sort of uh, immigration and emigration happens all the time. There's nothing sinister or horrible about it, but the Arab world decided to use those Palestinians as the Palestinian Arabs as the tip of a spear because of their the Arab leaders' intense anti-Semitism. Put all that together, and what do we have? We have the leaders of of uh, of Qatar, the leaders of Iran, leaders of many other countries 
that have decided to, to dehumanize people in order to inflict horrors on other people. The same is going on here in the United States. And we have to understand that reality, that when you call parents who protest what is going on in their local schools, terrorists, and you allow terrorists to roam the streets and murder, which we did in 2020, the people of, this, of, of the largely the blue states allowed that. They did that for a purpose, which was to dehumanize and scare off any opposition to their rule. That's what happened in 2020. That's what's been happening since. People are now being told that if you are a supporter of a certain political candidate, you are a danger to the United States and indeed the world. So we are being dehumanized because I believe in freedom. So I'm one of those who is being uh, called less than human. And if I'm less than human, I'll, I'll accept that. Because what's going to happen yeah. is when you call people less than human for a long time, they're going to start acting that way. And there will be blood. The only question ahead of us is not, will there be blood? The only question is, what will the blood be spilled for? And which blood will lead to the solution? Which blood will lead to the end? What, what, we, what we take on in the next few decades? Will it be the blood that is spilled for civilization or the blood that's spilled for barbarism? And it's yeah. leaders, it's leaders that are doing this, not the people. The people are being used. And this is monstrous. What happened in Israel in the in the West Bank or excuse me in Gaza is a monstrous thing brought on by leaders. We have got to get control of our leaders. If we don't, they will try to spill our blood to keep that control. If we if we allow them to do that, they will do it. Yeah. Chris, uh, I don't know, to throw it, uh, throw it to you here. I mean, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, you know, the idea of, Amer you know, people on American streets uh, celebrating this and, uh, you know, or, or any of the reflections you have on, on what Sam said about, again, this civilizational struggle. Um, I think that the the rise of identity politics that's occurred in the past you know decade or so is uh, very you know scary and concerning because you know it 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 uh, buys into this you know false notion of you know us versus them you know the oppressed versus the oppressors and uh, you know I think that a lot of people uh, think of as Israel as being the oppressors when it's the complete and utter opposite. And that's why a lot of these, you know, uh, academic institutions and, uh, you know, organizations are somewhat sympathetic to, you know, what's going on in, in uh, Gaza right now, because they think, oh, well, Big Bad Israel has all these weapons. They have all these, you know, technologies at their disposal. And it's just, you know, Palestine and then two, two million people living in this tiny little thing. And they're very poor and everyone's against them. That's not the case. So I think first we need to just, you know, be morally clear on, you know, 
how we're framing this. Uh, but like like Sam said, you know, in in the United States here, we are not nowhere near, you know, uh, the you know the cultural depravity that that is you know occurring in uh, in in the Gaza Strip, you know, for a very long time, and it's nothing new to human history. This has been going on since you know. Uh, the, the the Bolsheviks, you know, were saying, oh, the Kulaks, they're the, the the problem. Germany, oh, the Jews, they're the problem. So it's it's that that like base instinct of human nature to say, you know, instead of looking at, you know, ourselves and why we are, you know, in the situation we are in, it's it's all their fault. And if we just get rid of them or if we, you know, just do something to them, that will solve it. That won't solve it. Even if Hamas were to, you know, get rid of every single Israel in the face of the earth, that would not in and of itself, you know, make their situation, at least economically speaking or socially or whatever, however you want to measure it, better. So it's it, it's that, that you know, that Marxian idea of a zero-sum game, us versus them, you know, we can't succeed, you know, again, unless, you know, they're brought down mentality that has infiltrated you know, so much of America in, in recent years. And like Sam said, you know, whether it's, you know, the FBI and the DOJ saying, oh, if you're, you know, for uh, parents' rights and education, then you're a terrorist. That could be broadened out to a lot of other things, you know. And Joe Biden, when when he was elected, and, you know, this is not a bash Joe Biden session whatsoever. But one of the things he said was, we're going to reunite, return to normalcy, all these, you know, buzzwords that the American people thought, oh, that's great. That's great. Since he's been in office, he has done the utter opposite. We've all seen the speeches. We've seen the 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 MAGA Republicans, how they're responsible for all the problems. So I think I'm seeing like little seedlings of this. Obviously, we're nowhere near where, you know, one side's calling the other subhuman or anything. But it's scary to see Hillary Clinton, you know, just the other week saying, oh, you know, MAGA's need to be reprogrammed. That sounds a lot like, you know, what Germany was talking about in terms of, Oh, we need to, you know, reprogram people who aren't buying into the national socialist vision. So that's the kind of stuff that scares me. The fact that that is not just being completely, you know, uh, untolerated is 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 reason for concern. Yeah. Well, I'm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sam, and uh, and we'll get us all back here on the screen. Sam, you know, we. Again, I, I just want to go back to: is this a is this a flashpoint? Is this a reminder that um, civilization, as we know it, is is constantly under attack, and that we try to live our lives and not think about these things? But obviously, um, forces of barbarism um, were unleashed uh, and resulted in some of the most horrible horrible things imaginable. But um, and I and I think, again, I, I mentioned I, don't, I think of a soul. Somebody says that decline is a choice. That you know, civilization has to choose decline. That um, and it and it tends to do so. I think um, in little ways over time. That you you do wake up one day and realize that um, we now live in a civilization that will not defend itself. That will not defend its values, and it will not. It gets to the point where the the people who have benefited from civilization, from living and prospering in the United States are now using their positions gained through 
the protection of that civilization over, in the United States case, 200 years, 250 years, um, to defend barbarism or to not, um, at least, at the very least, not really defend the civilization that made their lives possible. I mean, what I'm getting at here is that um, when the war in Ukraine, Ukraine broke out, you know, there were, everybody had Ukrainian flags, not everybody, but people put in Ukrainian flags in their social media things. Corporations came out um, to support Ukraine. Our government and um, our leaders in Congress came out immediately saying we must, we must stand with Ukraine and all this stuff. And yes, people have said stand with Israel, but um, conspicuously absent were reactions in support of Israel and against barbarism, against this attack on our civilization from politicians in this country, um, certain amounts of them, the squad, the Socialist Democrats of America, um, immediately, they actually did issue an immediate statement, an immediate statement in support of um, the, the terrorists. Um, uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, took her a while, took her a while to say something. Um, and I think she did release a statement yesterday that was in support of Israel, but it's always this, this um, equivocation and... Uh, uh, you know, you, you have to take that for what you will. But the there's a, a if I can uh, share it, if you can't share it, Andy, um, I'll share it, the tweet um, that has the statement of um, some two dozen student groups at Harvard University. Um, uh, I'll read it if 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 if, uh, if Andy can't bring it up on the screen. Joint statement by Harvard Palestine Solidarity Groups on the situation in Palestine. Um, we, the undersigned student organizations, hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence. These events did not happen in a vacuum. They talk about an apartheid regime. Um, um, today, the Palestinian ordeal enters into uncharted territories. Uh, that statement actually, that statement was so out of bounds, Sam Karnick, that um, <laughs> the former a president of Harvard University, who, by the way, was run out of there by by uh, the woke culture that he did not oppose while he was president of Harvard, um, said that that was the reading that statement from student. All those student groups at Harvard made him almost weep for what that university has become. But I think it's actually um, not all that unrepresentative of what our elite institutions in this country really think and how they've been completely overtaken by not just wokeness, but by uh, absolute enemies of the whole idea of, of a civilized and peaceful society. Um, obviously, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is complicated. It's not very simple. What happened last week is very simple. Um, murdering and beheading infants is not something that should uh, take you a little bit of a, you know, take you some time to come out foursquare against. Um, you should have actually done that after paragliders came in and slaughtered hundreds of people at a piece of music concert. Um, that maybe, maybe you should have been, that should have been good enough to, um, if not come out in support of Israel, come out against terrorism and maybe shut your mouth and not say anything at all in support of Hamas. And that's, it's the support of these, of a lot of elite institutions, not just in the United States, but around the world not to mention the United Nations, that has helped give oxygen to Hamas over these decades. Um, you know, you need moral oxygen in the world in order to, to, to endure as long as, um, as Hamas has done. Um, nobody gave Al-Qaeda moral oxygen, nobody of any, no, nobody in the West, 
But here we are now, again, 23 years or 22 years after 9-11, and we have we have terrorist sympathizers dancing in our streets and not the streets of, uh, you know, horrible regimes elsewhere. So, you know, Sam I, or Chris, maybe we just go to you first, Chris, because uh, um, but, you know, the, the moral rot that seems to have taken hold in so many places of power and influence, basically among the people and institutions that run our society was really exposed. Yeah. So I was in college when 9-11 happened and uh, I remember Noam Chomsky and some on the you know far left, you know, progressive uh, side of the political spectrum. We're talking oh, this was blowback. This was, you know, retaliation right. for the United States being in the Middle East, being involved in the Middle East. I, I, I just thought that that was such, you know, BS then because, you know, how does that explain when terrorists go in and and commit violence, you know, in France or in Britain? They didn't they didn't, you know, actively participate in the first Gulf War, whatever. Uh, but one of the things that struck me, I was a high school teacher for, you know, five years or so. I've said this you know, many times uh, when we studied World War Two, when we studied the Holocaust, almost all of these uh, high school students in my classes, these were sophomores and juniors. Mostly they almost knew nothing about the Holocaust. And I remember I kind of went out of my way to like make sure that they understood that. So I think that part of this is an indictment of the you know education you know system in America. We're not teaching them important things like the Holocaust, World War II, you know, the founding of the country, but we're focusing incessantly on DEI, CRT, and all this other stuff that does not have anything to do you know with practical knowledge and uh, you know what education is truly about. So it it's not all that surprising for me to see that the students who I was literally probably teaching, you know, as they're coming of age and they're entering their, the college ranks, they are, you know, susceptible to the siren calls of, oh, this is kind of Israel really, you know, responsible for this because they're oppressive. And, and, you know, Hamas is really the victim here. And all they were doing was just retaliating. Obviously, that is just complete and utter BS. But it doesn't surprise me because that is what, you know, the higher ups in uh, academia and even in the public schools, even at, you know, the, the, the middle schools are, you know, are, are teaching kids these days. It's to always be on the side of the victim. It's all about the victim versus the oppressor mentality. And if you're a victim, the rules don't apply to you. You can do whatever. If you're a victim in, 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 in uh, you know, America because you don't happen to have a, you know, high paying job, you can go and loot. Because that's okay, because you're a victim and the rules don't apply. So I think that this is just, you know, I'm kind of spanning a whole bunch of different, you know, factors here. I totally get that. But I think that that's, you know, just just another uh, aspect of this that that needs to be, um, you know, identified and, and, and resolved. You know, we need to teach our kids, you know, history, because if they don't learn their history, well, then the, this whole notion of never forget gets forgotten. And we cannot let that happen. Yeah, Sam, um, the moral rot at the uh, at the at our elite institutions was exposed. That's exactly what happened. Uh, the interesting thing uh, that you might look at here is that how do you get to be defined as a victim or an oppressor? Because there, there, these you're not a victim of just the sun; you're a victim of human beings. And the way you get defined as a victim or an oppressor is back to blood. And that's what uh, wh why we see an interesting 
uh, confluence between the American uh, radicals who seem very, no, were openly very sympathetic toward the people who perpetrated these horrors, these atrocities, is that they look at themselves as victims based on their blood, and they look upon the Palestinians as fellow victims based on their blood, but the Palestinians are not victims of uh, a uh, Islamic uh, movement to keep them there as a pain to Israel. No, they're victims of Israel. They're victims of Jews. They're victims by blood of blood. And so what happens here is this is activity by political, educational, cultural, and business leaders around the world to weaponize people against one another. Why? How do the elites benefit from this? This is the big story behind this. It's what connects what happened in, in the, the uh, Gaza to what's been happening in the United States and in, the, and in Europe and the rest of the so-called civilized world. I, I wonder at this point, when I look at a place like Australia, which has the, the lockdowns were, were truly monstrous there. They were completely unjustified here, but they were monstrous there. And it was appalling what they did. This is what yeah. connects it is that our elites are weaponizing blood against blood to their own benefit because they get to rule over the wasteland and take whatever's left. Jim, I, I just have a, yeah. another, yeah, yeah just another um, tidbit to, to add here. Uh, uh, you know, a couple, you know, I'd say what, at the beginning of the 19th century, uh, the notion of relativism really, really, you know, started to gain uh, traction. Relativism in terms of, well, there's not one objective truth. There's a bunch of subjective truths. And, you know, there is no morality because it's all relative. There's no good. There's no evil. There's no right. There's no wrong. This, I think, is, you know, is, is an example of all that, like, you know, coming to fruition, where instead of, you know, people just being able to you know, state a direct line in the sand, say that was wrong. And it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. It, nothing ever would justify going in and doing what they did. It's, it's like, it's just this, this relativism. Oh, but, oh, but, oh, but, but, you know, and, and, and that, that to me is, is really, you know, concerning because that means that there, there are no, uh, you know, just objective facts. There are no, uh, you know, places where you can say, you know, this was right and this was wrong. And it's I think it's happening in America and across the world. And in America, we're seeing it, you know, like Sam said, the riots and, and just like all these things of uh, ends justify the means. And, you know, th there is no um, no no, you know, consensus on on facts anymore. And I think that that just kind of bleeds into this where people can pick and choose the the. Um, you know, the storyline that they want to, you know, to, to use to defend, you know, what they are, you know, seeing as, well, here's, here's, you know, my side of the story. We just, we, I think we have to, you know, 
understand that 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 is you know morally bankrupt yeah well yeah i mean exactly and you know one of the and i kept thinking about what to title this uh this discussion and and we actually originally thought maybe we'll talk about some other topics and not just this but that just seemed wrong <laughs> it just seemed on you know there are there are a lot of other things going on in the world and we do have some important things that will be on next week's podcast for sure but um Sam and Chris, you and I, us three have talked about, um, you know, being, being morally serious, being, um, being serious about saving your civilization, recognizing the moment and, and, and meeting it, um, you know, say what you want. Uh, well, I won't even go there, but just the, just the idea that this this is a this is a big moment in in world history. This will be a a, a week, a day, an attack that will be remembered um, for decades and for generations. I believe. I really believe that. And you have to wonder whether or not your society, represented by the people in government running this United States government, are able to meet the moment. And we found evidence this week that the Biden administration is not morally and even competently prepared to meet the moment. Andy, we have a we have a uh, we have a clip here that we can play where uh, uh, John Kirby, who I believe is the spokesman for the National Security Agency, the National Security Agency, which is supposed to be all the smart people who know everything and uh, can prepare us for uh, things like this. Uh, he was on Fox News and this was uh, a pretty unserious interview that the United States is now involved in wars that are taking place in Europe and also in the Middle East. I, I, I want to play this soundbite for you that is just last month in Vietnam and ask you if this still holds for the president. Watch. The only existential threat humanity faces, even more frightening than a, than a nuclear war, is global warming going above 1.5 degrees in the next 20, 10 years. Given all the nuclear players in these two areas where we are now engaged on, does the president stand by that comment? Absolutely, he does. Climate change is an existential threat. It, could, you know, it actually threatens and is capable of wiping out all human life on Earth uh, over time. I mean, that's, I don't know how more existential you can get to that, but that doesn't mean that we walk away from our obligations, our national security interests in very dangerous parts of but the John, world. You mentioned he he said it was more frightening than a nuclear war. Is that it's more frightening than a nuclear war in this moment? The president believes wholeheartedly that climate change is an existential threat to the all of human life on the planet. That's just science. That's a fact, Martha. That's fact. That's fact. Uh, Chris, you know, when I saw that clip, I mean, I, you know, I wanted to laugh at it. What's going on is much too serious to laugh at. But I think it I think it shows that the ruling class in America, the elites, they absolutely nothing will pull them off of their one fast track agenda of mm. um, using climate change as a, an excuse to control society, not even the most horrific attack against civilization that we have seen in decades, if not longer than that. Well, could it be that they're obsession with climate change caused them to drop the ball on this one? Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that that is one or the other proposition where they can't, they can only focus on climate change. And, but I mean, there's only so many resources, there's only so much time, effort and energy to go around. And if he's, you know, parading around the world, you know, talking about climate change being an existential threat, I don't think that he's taking 
nearly as seriously the existential threat that is evil. And, you know, uh, World War II was, you know, the the embodiment of good versus evil. In many of the wars since then, there's been this this, uh, you know, this reluctance to call out good and evil. And like I said, even when I was in college after 9-11, there still were I'm not saying that it was a majority, but there were a lot of talking heads and a lot of people and a lot of my uh, professors who were saying, well, you got to step back and understand that the reason why Al Qaeda did this was because of A, B, C, D and E from the United States. And it just always struck me as, but wait a second, you're, you, you know, going and taking, uh, you know, commercial airliners and crashing them into buildings and killing civilians has nothing to do with, you know, their, their, uh, you know, uh, problems with the United States foreign policy. So it's, it's, it's that kind of thinking that I think that uh, really, you know, is just so off-putting and, 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 and concerning for the future, because this is, you know, I think the overarching mentality that you know, a lot of people in our government and in our in our uh, ec- uh, economic institutions uh, are buying these days, and they're preaching it. And like we said, you know, in uh, in in you know Hamas, kids are 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 uh, you know indoctrinated from a very young age. I mean, I've seen things where they they actually uh, make plays with little kids, and some of them are the Jews, and some of them are the uh, Hamas terrorists, and they go and they take you know little wooden you know. Uh, swords and stuff and and pretend that they're killing you know the jews i'm not saying that that's happening any remotely here in the united states however there is uh a you know uh, uh a similarity occurring here that i think needs to be called out for what it is the use of uh climate change as a dividing line is emblematic and important it what it does is it takes a, uh, the group of people, the, the Americans who are productive, who uh, go to work every day and, and build things and serve one another, and demonizes them as uh, endangering the lives of other people. That if you are driving your car to work, you are killing somebody somewhere, somehow. Um this is a way of demonizing people, and it ultimately works to the benefit of the small group of people at the top, allows them to use more and more power in whatever way they choose. And this is why fundamentally the Heartland Institute has opposed the, um, the presentation of the climate change issue as exactly what Biden called it, as a, a threat to the, the ex- very existence of humanity. No, the threat to the very existence of humanity right now is our leaders. Our leaders <laughs> are carelessly, yes, our leaders are carelessly willing to bring on a nuclear war. They're, they're risking that in, in this, this run-up to, to war in the Ukraine. They're, they're willing they're willing to to let blood rush through the streets in order to make sure that a particular person doesn't assume the presidency or to get a particular person out of the, the presidency. This is madness, but it is calculated madness. It's intentional. It's meant. So when we say that that climate change is not an existential threat, what we're saying is, we can 
we can get by, folks. We don't we don't have to demonize people just for wanting better lives. Hmm. They want that in India and China, and they're building coal plants at an amazing clip over there while we're closing them down. We're doing way better than they are. We are doing so much more for the environment than they are. That is not to demonize them. What that is, is to point out that we are not to be demonized, that we are not to be seen as subhuman because somebody drives an SUV. They're not killing anybody by doing that. <laughs> That's not happening, folks. Yeah. But but your government is willing to risk your lives and those of tens of millions of other people for things that they think will give them even more power. Yeah. Well, this what is and, and not to mention that by uh, you know by preventing the United States from producing oil natural gas here, we're actually helping regimes like Iran, whose economy completely depends on oil. Hundred yes. percent. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we can we'll wrap it up here. I got a I got another clip I'm going to play that that's it's the only way I could think of to end on a positive note, and I'll try to set it up in this way. I mean, we we talked about how. Uh, well, I, I think there's a there's a moral sickness in this country when it and, and it's exposed when things like this happen, when terrible things like this happen, and certain segments of the population, mostly from our elite institutions, just can't find a moral compass that is not broken. Um, you know, with the statement from the the students at Harvard, um, 37, I think, student groups. I mean, now it's actually, and and the good thing is that a lot of these uh, students are now running away from that statement. Uh, I saw on Twitter, there was the president of the um, NYU uh, law school or the uh, her of her class, I guess, in law school. She had a um, wonderful, cushy job in a, in a prominent New York law firm all lined up uh, after she graduated. And she put out a disgusting comment uh, supporting Hamas. And uh, that uh, and then the, the law firm made a big public statement saying that we're revoking that job. She can go work somewhere else, maybe find a another law firm that uh, doesn't think that's disgusting. I mean, it is New York City, so she's probably likely to find uh, a law firm that will take her on. But, you know, people are, um, this is a moment where you get to see who is in support of civilization and who isn't. And, you know, those students at Harvard, they, they've been brought up in a world in which words are violence. Well, I think we can say for sure what violence really is. Um, and I think, I would hope that maybe we are we are going to be tossing away into the dustbin of history the idea that words are violence but violence is a speech right your your speech is violence but by violence is speech I, you know i think this is one of those in one of those situations where we we can make a very clear line that in a civilized society it is not that way at all uh and so as i mentioned sam and chris our, our elites a lot of them especially on the left and in the democratic party were a little hesitant to come out and say the right thing, or even better, keep your mouth shut, say nothing. Saying nothing was it Mark Twain. Uh, better you keep your mouth shut and, and uh, not expose yourself as, a, as an idiot, other than uh, as opposed to opening your mouth and confirming it. And so we have a lot of that going on uh, in our politics these days. But what I'm hopeful for, and this is the hopeful ending I was looking for, was that although in our Western civilization, in our United States of America, we are cursed with many leaders with broken moral compasses. The people, us, um, the people that actually sustain and uh, 
protect our civilization are the ones who can even perhaps shame those of our leadership that cannot see things in, with moral clarity. And so there was a, uh, a rally of some sort or, or a speech that was given. Um, Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts, who is a pretty terrible human being, <laughs> and uh, Elizabeth Warren were there. And uh, so he was reading a statement uh, about his reaction to what had happened. And uh, we're also going to hear the crowd reaction to that. Go ahead and play that clip, Andy. There must be a de-escalation of the current violence. The United States should... We... The looks on their faces. I, there was a bit of a lag there in the in the beginning, but Ed Markey was basically making a uh, a very morally neutral, if not a uh, you know basically blaming Israel, and we should uh, there should be a ceasefire. We should there should be no more bloodshed. Uh, and in fact, um, I think it was Jack Kirby or somebody else uh, in the United States, high in the United States government. No, I think it was our Secretary of State issued a statement via Twitter. That said, um, we, we must now have a complete ceasefire and uh, and stop all hostilities, which would basically be rewarding Hamas for the worst terrorist attack uh, in decades. And then they took it down. And I think another high level agency also issued a similar type uh, statement publicly on Twitter. And then they had to take that down. But of course, the Internet is forever. And those and those statements were preserved. But Sam and Chris, uh, you know, maybe to wrap it up here. I mean, I think I think it is incumbent upon us as the beneficiaries of living in a free um, and relatively safe and prosperous Western civilization that if our leaders are not going to step up to protect it, that we must take the mantle and do it ourselves. Well, let me just piggyback off one thing that you just said earlier. Mark Levin uh, had a lot to say about this on Saturday and Sunday on Fox News. And one of the things that he said is the media cannot do what they've done in the past, where at first they are sympathetic and they are um, interviewing the survivors and they are pro-Israel. But then when Israel actually retaliates, then they say, whoa, 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 that's way too much. This is you know, too harsh. Um, you know, we haven't even seen the, uh, the invasion yet. Uh, we've seen some airstrikes on behalf of uh, Israel into Gaza. And I've already seen on MSNBC and CNN that, you know, that uh, line of thinking of, OK, that's enough. That's enough. Like, OK, stop now. This is just the beginning. This is, as Benjamin Netanyahu said, it's going to be a long war. It's going to be a lot of long days. This is going to be urban fighting. This is going to be house to house, door to door, street to street. A lot of these IDF forces are just reservists, and they're going to have to go into Gaza, a very heavily you know, uh, uh, populated area, and they're going to have to go in there and get every single one of these terrorists out. So this is going to be a long process. It's going to be, you know, bloody. It's going to be deadly, and we need to uh, maintain our resolve in in uh, defense of Israel, and not when you know the media starts to uh, change their tune on this and say, "Okay, you know, Israel's you know done enough. It's time to seek peace." No, uh, uh-uh. uh. So that's that. That's where I'm at in this. Sam, I was trying to uh, finish on a positive note. Can you bail us out? <laughs> <laughs> I actually do have something positive to say. It's this that. The defenders of civilization can win. We can win this. There is hope. We can win this. The way we're going to have to go about it, though, is we have to understand with perfect clarity who is really trying to harm whom, who is oppressing whom, who 
Frankly, your declared enemies are. Who are your avowed enemies? They're out there. They say it. We need to recognize that around the world, most Palestinian people don't want to fight Jews. Most Russians don't want to fight Ukrainians. Most Chinese don't want to fight Indians or fight people living on Taiwan. It's the leaders of these places that want us fighting one another so that they can rule over us. Even if they are just ruling over wreckage, they would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. We can fight back, but we have to know who really has declared themselves to be our enemies. Yes. Well, thank you, Sam. That was, I'll give it a 50%, 51% on the positive note. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Uh, and thank you, Christine Laurel, for the uh, $10 donation in the super chat. Uh, she says it takes a lot of courage to talk about this. Uh, bravo. Um, thank you. Uh, I don't know if it takes courage to talk about it. I think it, I, I feel compelled to speak about things like this. And I think the, this is a, this is a potentially a civilization defining moment. And we're going to find out um, whether we are on the road path to the Roman Empire and its end or um, somewhere else. And uh, there I go again. I wasn't ending it on a positive note. Thank you, uh, Chris Talgo, for being on the program as you always are today. And I appreciate the um, patience of our usual viewership and listenership on podcasts for uh, putting up with me as a host instead of the great Donald Kendall, who shall be back next week. Uh, Sam Karnick, how can people that listen to this or watch this program learn more and uh, contact you? Thank you very much, Jim. Uh, there's at ST Karnick on uh, X and other places. And then, of course, uh, the heartlanddailynews.com. Please come and visit and leave comments there. Yes. And Chris Talgo, uh, what do you have to push today? Uh, well, as always, I encourage everyone to go check out Harlan.org because we've got you know, a bunch of great stories, articles, and a, a new report on uh, ESG that we'd love everyone to go check out. Excellent. And you can always find me at Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, or I should say X is our account there. And always visit Heartland.org. Thank you so much for watching and listening, and we will talk to you next week.